Hello, you are listening to Ames Audio Waves, a shortcast brought to you by Ames, where we will be discussing the latest topics from the world of nutrition and dietetics in short, easy to listen to episodes, ideal for listening to on the go. My name is Priya Chu. I'm a registered dietitian, author, and I run the consultancy Dietitian UK. I'm your host. Today, we welcome back Dr. Carrie Ruxton, freelance dietitian and health writer, and we're going to continue our discussion around oral nutritional supplements. Hi, Carrie. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. That's all right. It's great to be back, Priya. So on the last episode, we chatted about the indications for prescribing oral nutritional supplements. Today, I'd love it if we could move on to a more important topic surrounding ONS, that's compliance. It can be easy to recommend a prescription of oral nutritional supplements, but how can we actually make sure our patients take them and get the intended benefits from them? So firstly, Carrie, why are we interested in compliance? Oh, it's it's so important, Priya. I mean, I, I just can't stress enough. As with food, it's the same with oral nutritional supplements. If people are not consuming them, they can't do the people some good. So they're only going to work if they if they actually consume them. And with uh, oral nutritional supplements or ONS, the ideal is 80 to 120% of what has been prescribed. Now, you might say, oh, my goodness, 120%. We, we wouldn't say that with nutrients, for example, like vitamins <laughs> or so on. But the reason is, is because some people do have off days. So if you look at somebody long term, one day they might have 80% and one day they might have 120 or 110%. But over the time, that then evens out to be an average of having 100% of what's recommended. And, and let's just remind ourselves about the benefits of ONS, why we're giving them in the first place. So the, the three benefits that I can think of, one is clinical, one is nutritional, one is functional. And I just want to highlight a few examples under each of these. So if we think about clinical, ONS, and this is proven by studies, can help to reduce the risk of complications of diseases. It can reduce the hospital stay, And it can also reduce mortality risk amongst patients. Now, moving on to nutritional, these ONS can boost and increase our energy, our calorie intake, our protein intake, and also intake of micronutrients because they are fortified. And then finally, on the functional side, again, this is shown from studies, patients who are given ONS long term have an improvement in hand grip, quality of life and mobility which means that they can get back home sooner. We know that um, using ONS can actually reduce hospital stay. So that just kind of gives us an idea of why compliance is important and why we're giving these products in the first place. Brilliant. That was a really great answer. Thank you for that. What would you say are the factors influencing compliance? There's quite a few factors. So looking again at studies and at the evidence, I would say there are five and I'll just go through them one by one. The first is taste and temperature. And that is similar to, again, going back to food. You know, if you had cold soup or if you don't like lumps and there's lumps in the soup, you're not going to find it very appetizing. So we do expect certain flavors and we do expect certain textures and we expect things to be a particular temperature as well. Things that should be cold should be cold. And that's what we're we're looking for. You find as well with taste, if you've got the same tastes all the time, so you think about, you know, vanilla, vanilla, vanilla every single day, patients do get taste fatigue. 
And patients also have their likes and dislikes. It's really important to take that into account. So taste and temperature is my first one. I've slightly mentioned my second one, which is texture. And I would add to that volume as well. So the volume that you give patients, if they've got you know limited appetites, you don't want to be encouraging them to, to drink litres and litres because they're just not going to be able to comply. You've got to target the volume at the patient's needs. And you do get products that have got different volumes in terms of calorie density. The texture has got to be pleasant, appropriate and varied. The third one is social. So what happens quite often is that, you know, in the past, again, when I when I was training as a dietitian, people would be given a carton in their beds. They'd be sitting in their bed. Everyone else would be having lunch, a proper lunch with, you know, food and things. And somebody would just get a little carton and be stuck in bed on their own. And that isn't conducive to compliance. They're, they're excluded from mealtimes. The fourth is physical and clinical. So these are all the things to do with the, the person's health or maybe the medication that they're getting that could impact on appetite and ability to eat. That could be swallowing. It could be being able to sit up and, and hold things. If Say, for example, if you've had a stroke, it could be reduced appetite because of illness or, for example, through drug interactions. And then the final one, probably one of the biggest, actually, is patient buy-in. So if the patient doesn't understand why they are being asked to drink this stuff in a cart and they don't know what it is and they don't know what benefits they're going to get, they're not going to be so motivated. And that becomes a problem when they get sent home with a prescription prescription, they then will not be able to understand why you're giving them this. So that's what I would say are my five areas. I think that really makes me think about you know, when we're prescribing things like this, thinking how people eat, why they eat, what are the things that make a meal just taste better, smell better, look better. And if we think about all of those types of factors of how we would normally eat and why we eat, and we put those onto oral nutritional supplements, maybe we'd be able to empathize a little bit more with our patients and think about ways to increase in compliance. Yeah, definitely. Just to say, Priya, as well, that if you look at data on compliance, I measure, I mentioned the ideal of 80 to 120%. The actual compliance, again, there was a big systematic review of this, 37 to 100%. So there's definitely a lot of room for improvement. Wow. So much room, isn't there? And I can imagine, you know, some people are taking home these supplements. They don't know different ways that they can use them. They don't really have different flavors or access to even know what flavors there are. And that's really where our role as dietitians can be. So what would you say are some ways that we can help improve compliance? Yeah, well, what we do is we almost go back to the factors influencing it. So the biggest one is taste. If someone doesn't like what you're giving them, they don't want to drink it or, or eat it. So making sure that patients have the opportunity to trial some of the products before they're given a longer term prescription. You could even make it a fun thing. You know, if they're still in hospital at the time, bring them a few different options. They can have a, a try of them all or even go away with some mini versions to try themselves and vary the taste. Don't always stick with the milk-based option because there are juice-based options now which can provide some variety. Mix up the format. So, for example, having a, a warm soup instead of always a, a kind of a cold or a room temperature ONS, serve it in a bowl like a soup. I had a, an interesting taste session last year where I tried juice-based ONS as ice lollies. And that was actually a lot of fun, making the ice lollies and then trying them. And that can be really good for patients that maybe got dry mouth or patients with very tiny appetites. 
I think there's actually some kind of pudding-based ONS as well. So, I mean, patients have got lots of different formats to try. Social aspect as well. So, you know, sitting a patient at a table and putting it in a glass or a bowl so they can feel part of the group and sitting them with other people, making sure they've got company. And then also reviewing the ONS with the patient. So letting them go away with a few things and maybe a week or two later, giving them a call and just finding out how they're getting on with the flavours and the formats. Which shows the real value of reviewing, doesn't it? And coming up with new inventive ways that people can try these things. I love that thing about an isolate. I remember as a student having to try oral nutritional supplements and some of them I just did not like at all. I specifically remember an apple juice one, didn't like it. But I can imagine given it in a different format, actually it might have been quite nice and it was just the way it was presented in that moment. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know whether you can make them up as jellies. I mean, I'm sure if you look on the websites of the companies that are providing them, there will be recipe ideas. And maybe it's the recipe ideas that we need to get out more amongst healthcare professionals so they can give that advice to patients and their families. Definitely. You can. I know you can download them and send them out to people. I've done that in the past myself. So, Carrie, thank you so much for your time and all of your valuable information. I think it shows there's so many important factors to think about when we're considering effective ONS recommendations for our patients. So thank you so much for sharing your knowledge there. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you also to our listeners. Please remember to join us next time for our third episode, also on oral nutritional supplements, where I'm going to be asking Carrie all about powdered versus ready to drink versions. So do come and join us for that.